Hello, health investor. Welcome to another episode of the Health Investment Podcast. Today, you're going to hear from Lodro Rinsler. Lodro is a meditation teacher and the author of seven books, as well as the co-founder of MNDFL Meditation Studios in New York City. His books, Walk Like a Buddha and The Buddha Walks into the Office, have both received independent publisher book awards. Lodro has taught meditation for 20 years in the Tibetan Buddhist tradition and travels frequently for his books, having spoken across the world at conferences, universities, and businesses as diverse as Google, Harvard, and the White House. Lodro's work has also been featured in the New York Times, the Wall Street Journal, The Atlantic, Good Morning America, CBS, and NBC. In the episode, Lodro demystifies meditation and makes it less intimidating, sharing tips for meditating even when you're at your busiest times, walking meditations, finding guidance, and more. But before we get to the episode, I want to take a moment to share one of my favorite resources with you, thrivemarket.com. I don't know about you, but I used to think that healthy eating meant I had to spend a lot of time and money at the grocery store until I discovered Thrive Market. Thrive is an online grocery shopping platform that's essentially a mix of Costco, Whole Foods, and Amazon. Since Thrive doesn't have any brick and mortar stores, I conveniently order fridge, freezer, and pantry staples from the comfort of my home in just a few quick clicks on their website or app. And since Thrive cuts out the middle people, all of their inventory is heavily discounted. When I order on Thrive versus going to my local supermarket, I save at least $20 per grocery haul. Did I mention I can just shop from my couch? That's honestly the best part. To read my full Thrive Market review, steal my shopping list of over 150 items, and save additional money on your first order, visit thehealthinvestment.com slash thrivemarket, or just click through the link in the show notes. And one more thing, if you've been on a weight loss roller coaster for years, trying everything from keto to Weight Watchers to Noom to exercising a ton but nothing has worked. I'm so happy we've connected. Outside of hosting this podcast, I help health-motivated individuals lose 5 to 50 pounds for the last time through sustainable habit change and mindset shifts. Unlike diets, apps, and programs that can compromise your physical and mental well-being and suck the fun out of life, I help you make small, gradual tweaks to your nutrition, lifestyle, and attitude so you can drop those pesky pounds for good without giving up carbs, counting every calorie, eating clean 24-7, or other nonsense. If you're ready to cross, lose weight off your to-do list, and start showing up as the trimmest, healthiest, most confident, most energized version of yourself... Learn more about my programs at thehealthinvestment.com. And please don't hesitate to reach out if you have any questions at all. I absolutely love hearing from you. All right, it's time to hear from Lojo. Enjoy. I'm Brooke Simonson 
certified nutrition coach and your host of the Health Investment Podcast. If you're ready to look and feel your best without any confusion, frustration, or stress, you're in the right place. Each week, I interview experts and share no-nonsense, research-backed tips so that you can finally lose weight for good, eat healthy long-term, have the high energy you crave, and feel like a million bucks. I'm so happy you're here with me today. Don't forget to hit subscribe so that you never miss an episode. Hi, Lodro. Thank you so much for joining me today on the Health Investment Podcast. Thanks so much for having me. I was just saying off air that we connected on this kind of, it's almost like a dating app for matching podcast <laughs> hosts and guests. That's all I can think of because you you log on to it and it says you have a new match or whatever. Uh, so you were my first match on there and I'm grateful that the app knew that I was looking for somebody to talk to about meditation and mindfulness and just kind of having that type of practice in your life. And yeah, just happy that Podmatch set us up. <laughs> yeah, I'm so glad to be here. So can you explain for listeners your story and your background and then specifically what led you to your interest in meditation? Sure. Um, You know, it is an interesting idea, I guess, because was there a real interest? I guess I I did at some point say, you know, yes, I'm doing this, but the, the, to dispel whatever mystical thing I just walked into there, the, (laughs) my parents, my parents raised me Buddhist. So it was always sort of around. And so my pondering, was there a choice? I think that there was, you know, because they never really foisted it upon me. They didn't say like, oh my gosh, this is what we do on Sundays or anything like that. It was really organic. I think, you know, there was a moment when I was a kid, six, seven years old, where they sort of stumbled across me meditating in my room and they quietly closed the door and then I'm sure had a nice chat about it. And over dinner that night, they said, you yeah, know, what were you doing there? And I said, well, I was meditating. And they said, well, what does that mean when you, when you say that? Uh, and I said, well, I was just focusing on the breath. And then when I got distracted, I came back to it. And they're like, yeah, I mean, that's basically it. You know, it's not a complicated thing. A kid can certainly do it, but it is a situation where, um, you know, it's not always easy. I suppose for kids, maybe there's like less chaos uh, going on in the mind, perhaps. I don't know. It's hard to remember what it was like back then. In any case, there is something here where it's like I, I started meditating at a young age and then I started doing weekend retreats thereafter when I was 11. And then spent uh, a summer in robes. I did a, a you know a month-long program where I was uh, monastic. And it's a very common thing that you sort of do temporary ordination, which just means that you take the robes, take the vows, you try it out. And at the age of 17, I was like, nope, I think I'm just going to go ahead and um, go back to you know high school and my, my other life. And I ended up in university where my teachers started encouraging me to actually pursue a teacher training. So I've been teaching meditation at this point from starting at the age 18. It's been 20 years now, uh, this Mm -hmm. fall. And I, yeah, so I started just teaching peers at the university and then went and uh, was hired to run Buddhist nonprofits and run development efforts for them and so on and so forth. And then founded my own nonprofit, 
ran a network of meditation studios in New York City, wrote about seven books on the topic along the way. Uh, but now I'm, I'm sort of boring myself with my story, but that's where <laughs> I got going. You're not boring me. I love the story okay. part. It's always, it's always kind of, you know, we all sit down for story time and I love it. Yeah. So you mentioned that meditation is just kind of focusing on your breath and returning to your breath when you lose focus is like, how would you define yeah. it in your words? It's it's a great question because we should, it's good for us to be precise about these things. Um the element here is that, you know, there's many different types of meditation and some of them have been around for thousands of years and some someone made up last Thursday, which I don't love as much. So the ones that have been around for thousands of years, you know, we're often talking about either stuff that came out of the Buddhist tradition or the Vedic tradition. Some people are like, what's the Vedic tradition? If you ever heard of transcendental meditation, that stemmed from that. A lot of other forms of yogic meditation have stemmed from that. So the, sometimes it's mantra-based and people will meditate on a mantra. In Buddhism, often the way that people get going is that they would meditate on the breath. And that is what we would commonly call mindfulness meditation here in the West. Um, mindfulness meditation is the act of, it's literally three steps. I'll just sort of rattle them off. We take a relaxed but uplifted posture. Hmm. We focus our intention on the breath, just the natural flow of however we're breathing. And then when we get distracted, we acknowledge it, and then we come back to the breath. And those are the three steps. So there is something very simple about it, but again, not an easy thing because so many of us just feel like there's a bombardment of thoughts one after another after another. It can be very hard to do. Yeah. And I think too, there are so many apps and things and so much technology to, I guess, make it easier. But sometimes to me, then that seems even more overwhelming because it's like, which app do I choose? And then which one do I select and how long do I do it for? When the way you talk about it, it seems as if it can be very simple of you literally sit in an uplifted posture, as you said, and breathe and focus on your breath. Yep. It is, it is it's a simple thing to do. So yeah. then, of course, not to get ahead of ourselves, like, why doesn't everyone go ahead and do it? It's because we have habituated the mind to really spin out, to yeah. constantly chase after distraction. Um, you know, I used to work with someone who, uh, we had identical MacBook Airs, and I would sometimes pick up her computer by accident and open up and go, oh my God, I'd get horrified because they're, <laughs> no offense to anyone who's like this, but, you know, there'd be probably 30 to 40 tabs open on on the screen and i was like my gosh like this is this is a very busy mind it's like the mind that says oh and i should click that link and i'll get back to that later and then we go over here and we say oh but i want to do that later and it, it sort of the mind went goes in a hundred different directions all at once um that's how we've habituated the mind i mean you know it's actually really good for that we can go down whatever rabbit hole and open up as many tabs as we want um then we have uh the situation where in meditation, we retrain the mind. And what we're essentially doing is we say, okay, I noticed that I'm about to get distracted here. And we sort of click on that little X on the tab and it goes back to the original thing, which in this case hmm. is the breath. So it's just doing that over and over again so that we habituate the mind not to chase after every thought that distracts us, but to come back to the present moment, to train in being present so that we're more present for the rest of our waking hours. Hmm. Uh, Lojo, just for a second, you kind of now sound like you're at the end of a tunnel. Oh, no. Oh, now you're better. 
Okay, good. I wonder what happened. Hopefully. No, you were super clear. And then just that last little piece, I could still hear you, but it just sounded like you were at the end of a tunnel. So you're good. You're all good. Okay, good. (laughs) Uh, Okay. So this makes me think, well, first of all, when I'm talking about all the apps and things, people that I have spoken to who are kind of in my boat of maybe I am kind of mindful at times, but I don't have a formal time set aside or any type of meditation practice, it almost feels like something else to do and to add to the to-do list. And then I feel like I want to do it right. And it is intimidating, I guess. So what would you say to that person who feels intimidated or like they have to do it right if they're going to do it at all? And it feels kind of impossible to do right because your mind's always racing. It's a great question. And I think, you know, we sort of talked about the different forms of meditation before. Now let's talk about the different forms of mindfulness and the way that's used. So mindfulness in the West is often defined as bringing ourselves into the present moment. Uh, Let me put it this way. Let Let me be exact here. It is bringing ourselves into the present moment as it is without judgment. So some sense here of just being with what we're currently doing and what's currently happening, and we're not judging it. This is not so hard with the breath because the, what's the worst we can do? Oh, my breath is shallow. I wish it was deeper. You know, That's not a major thing. We can sort of let those types of thoughts go pretty quickly. If we are mindfully playing basketball, it's very hard to refrain from judgment. You know? And more often than not, we're not mindful about that. Or let's do something that's a little bit more common, running, walking. Like if we are actually present with every time that the foot lands, on the ground, and that is the object of our attention. That is an act of mindfulness. But if we are running and you know, sort of thinking about sort of things, and it's nice that we have this time away from our screen or whatever, that's different than meditation, right? That's it might feel nice, but it's not us constantly being present. It's us just actually letting go of into discursive thought. So meditation itself is just the act of substituting our discursive thinking for another object of our attention that we repeatedly come back to. So, okay, if you are, you could do walking meditation, for example, where you are actively paying attention to every footstep. Mm -hmm. And then when you get distracted, you come back to that, the actual physical movement. That's walking meditation in a nutshell. But if we're going for a long walk and we're just sort of spacing out and thinking about what we need to do later, that's not much different than waiting at the bus stop or any other, you know, we might as well be on a conference call where we're not being called upon. We're, we're still, the mind is not actually um, running around. The mind, is, the mind isn't being tamed in this moment. It's not being trained to be present. It's being given a wide field to graze in, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah, and I like how you give the analogy of closing the X's on the browser tab because that's something I can kind of visualize and it makes sense that as you're in the process of meditating, these browser tabs would pop up, but the whole point is just to X them out and try to kind of keep a clean slate and be intentional about whether it's steps or breath or whatever it is. But that seems very approachable versus what I've built meditation up to be in my mind. <laughs> yeah. Well said. It also reminds me, I was, uh, we mentioned we both lived in New York city for a little over a decade and 
I belonged to something called ClassPass when I lived there, which was this app, and you could try out different exercise classes and studios. So at one point, I decided I wanted to get into yoga, but many of the yoga studios in New York are very intimidating. I mean, people have been practicing for 20 plus years and you walk in and their warm up is doing a headstand type of thing. And (laughs) I'm the most inflexible person I know and just felt so out of place at many of these, but really wanted to get into it. So I, you know, was able to try different studios. And then one day it was this amazing moment where the yogi, the instructor said, I don't want you to worry at all about anything you're doing. You know, obviously don't get injured and focus on form. But he said, if you're breathing, you're doing yoga. And so you're not ever doing it wrong. As long as you're breathing, you're doing yoga. And I just felt such permission then to not look the best or be the best at it or freak out that I wasn't doing something right or think that other people were looking at me and just to allow myself to show up to these classes and think I'm doing it hundred percent right. As long as I'm breathing, that guy said, (laughs) I'm okay. But it kind of, as you're speaking, it's kind of reassuring me that no one, no one's perfect at it probably, or, you know, some people are more practiced and better, but everybody probably has the thoughts popping up. Is that correct? Yes. And I I think there is some old adage that perfection is the enemy of the good. And now we are at this point where it's like, we, so many people project the idea that there can be perfection. Mm. You know, we have what a friend of mine once called success theater, where we are we go online we go on facebook we go on instagram or wherever and people are like look at my perfect relationship and we say wow i wish i had a relationship like that but of course we forget that their finances are falling apart Mm. or look at my beautiful home i just bought and you're like wow that's amazing they're like i live there alone and i i wish i had a spouse like there's all sorts of like look at the amazing thing that's going on for me that we are projected and then we start comparing ourselves and we think we're the failure we're the people that aren't doing well and it can even go on to like our spiritual path where it's like, look at all these other people. They're getting it right. They're doing the headstands and the warm up. They're sitting here perfectly peaceful in the meditation class. Little do we know that they're freaking out in their own minds themselves. They're just not outwardly showing it and being fidgety or whatever. So we have this situation where we think that there is some sort of like perfect thing that we're supposed to be aspiring to and achieving But in fact, we're all just effing human. And Mm -hmm. yeah, I mean, to answer your question more directly, of course you have thoughts. There's no meditation out there that's going to just turn your mind off and you never have a thought again. That's just not, it's like asking the heart to stop beating and be like, oh my gosh, that annoying sound in my chest. It's like, no, that's what the heart does. So yeah. We are at this situation. We sort of, I feel like if I'm sighing, it's just because I've been doing this for 20 years and I feel like I, it's just the front lines of re-educating people around the expectations here that you can't just meditate once and be like, oh, all better now. And, you know, I am like feel totally relaxed, like getting a massage. We have to think of it more in the realm of learning a new language, learning an instrument, taking up a physical discipline where at first it feels a little awkward to pronounce that word, to hold the instrument, to do the exercise, but 
over time, the more we do it, the more natural it feels, the more we progress. We don't even notice that we're progressing, that we're actually speaking the language or playing the instrument or whatever, because it's just sort of organically happened over time. Mm-hmm. So anyway, this is a roundabout way of, of saying, you know, yes, everyone has thoughts. And I think the idea of like having thoughts isn't that we're bad at it. It's like, how can we relate to the mind differently? So we start off by saying, I'm going to meditate. I'm going to feel peaceful. And then we end up disappointed because we have so many thoughts going on. It's just mm-hmm. a waterfall of thoughts, one after another, after another, after another. And then we say, okay, if I keep doing this, maybe I can actually stay with the breath a little bit. And then maybe a little bit becomes a little bit more and a little bit more becomes a lot. And it just becomes the situation where we gradually learn that we don't have to chase after every thought that arises. The thoughts will still come up, but the allure of them or the volume of them is not so profound. It's like turning down the radio in our own mind. Right. How, so if somebody's thinking, I don't need to meditate, I feel fine as I am, I exercise, I go for walks outside, what are the perks of meditation that maybe even skeptics don't realize that they're going to experience after doing a practice for weeks, months, what what do you notice? What difference do you notice in yourself? Yeah, I think, you know, it's it's a bit of, I wish I could just speak personally because having done it as long as I have, I, I don't know what is like someone growing up from the age of 18 to 38. And what is yeah. meditation, right? Like it's just, this is an evolution that just sort of happens as we get older or whatever. But I will say from the people that I work with, because I, I run an online community of, few hundred people from around the world and you know it's been interesting to watch people of different ages and different backgrounds and as I said you know from all over um, engage with the practice and what you know there's all the scientific benefits these days right like oh if I meditate a little bit every day research tells me that dot 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 I sleep better boost my immune system I'm more creative I'm more productive I'm more efficient all of these things are wonderful I mean, all of those studies, though, fall under the giant umbrella of stress reduction, right? Mm. Which is not surprising. If I'm less stressed out, then yeah, I'm going to sleep better. If I'm less stressed out, my body has more ability to naturally heal itself. There's more room for creativity to take place, etc. But that is the objective research. And like, why should anyone meditate? The subjective is the things that I see are more based in people saying, well, I'm actually becoming kinder to myself, like myself, like being kinder less aggressive to me in my own mind. And I'm actually also being um, kinder to others and actually feel like, you know, I'm less reactive. I'm more energetic. I'm more joyful. These are really beautiful qualities that are not as easily measured by science. Mm -hmm. I'm curious because you've been at this practice for so long before technology kind of entered the space. How do you feel about all of the apps like Headspace and Calm do you find those to be helpful or are you kind of opposed to those and you prefer kind of just the breath work meditation instead? Yeah. I mean, I, it's a great question because there are so many resources these days. Um, I'm not opposed to apps. I do think that they are particularly good for people who that is the way that they can reach, you know, like actually learn to meditate because they're geographically isolated, because they are uncomfortable in Zooms or whatever. Um, I think nothing beats interacting with a live teacher 
And I've always sort of been a big advocate of that, that at the end of the day, you know, an app can't tell you if your posture is correct. An app can't immediately address the question that arises after your first few sits, but a human can. And so to have a trained meditation teacher that you can talk to is actually really invaluable. And it's not so hard to find them these days. I mean, there's, I also run like a meditation teacher training every year. This is, I guess, coming up on my seventh year of doing it, I think. And um, it's wonderful that there's so many people and I watch them go out and do things that I would never have the like a, a wherewithal or ideas that are just brilliant to do, you know, ways that they could apply meditation, ways so that they could enter communities that I would not normally enter and actually offer these practices. So I feel like there's a lot more trained meditation teachers, obviously not just by myself, but in general, um, out there than there were 10 years ago. So there's, it's not so hard to find like a live teacher that one can actually hop into a class with, even again, online through Zoom, things like that. Um, and of course, meditation centers and other places as well in person. So I always think that's the best line of defense to go to a teacher first that you can actually have a relationship with and talk to. And, you know, an app is second. You know, I, I don't think it's bad. I think it's also better than just sort of Google, Googling uh, meditation or going on YouTube and just looking at like whatever because the there's no um, curation there, one could say. Like no one's saying, oh, this is a good certified meditation teacher that you should check out. It's just someone who woke up and said, I'm going to lead you in a meditation because I got led in meditation once. You know, it's like they might be making it up or not know it very well. So number one, trained meditation teacher in person. Number two, a meditation app that has trained meditation teachers who have recorded for them. You know, yes, 10% happier is a good one. You mentioned um, Headspace. You know, that's perfectly fine. You know, it's overseen by Andy. And there's lots of others out there that, do have really good trained teachers that actually record for them. So that's wonderful. I think when you were talking, it made, made me realize people probably turn to the apps for guidance because they feel like they want some type of teacher, but then maybe don't realize that there are teachers they could seek out, you know, so you might not have to go to the app first. You could research if there's a live one near you, or if somebody, like you said, is leading a zoom, so you still get that guidance, but it seems kind of next level versus the app. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I was wondering too, so how often would you say you have to meditate to see benefits? Do you recommend this daily or twice a day or yeah. for somebody it, starting it, or what's the goal? Good question. So the... Going back a step to what we were talking about earlier around language, how often, if we wanted to go, if we were traveling to Spain, how often should we practice Spanish, <laughs> right? Mm -hmm, right? The more we do it, the easier it's going to become. Um, same thing here. It's like musical instruments is actually a great example. The more I pick up that musical instrument, the more familiar I become with it, the more fluent it feels in my hands. I progress without even necessarily knowing that I go from simple scales to simple songs to more complex songs and then playing Freebird. I don't know how I got to Freebird. Same thing with <laughs> meditation. You know, it's just, we pick it up once a week. It's like picking up that instrument once a week. We might remember how we were doing it last week. We might not. It might feel a little awkward still. There's not as much progress, but if we pick it up for 10 minutes a day and just fiddle with it, you know, that instrument just becomes more second nature. It doesn't feel like a big heavy lift every time we do it. 
same thing. So if we were to do something like 10 minutes a day, and for some people, a daily meditation practice really means five days a week or something like that, that's not the end of the world. But to have that level of consistency of just, you know, same time, same place, we keep showing up and we say, okay, I'm going to do the practice. Um, it starts to become a perfectly nice habit and doesn't feel something like we need to shoehorn into our life. Mm-hmm. 10 minutes a day is something so many of us have. I mean, this. I've listen, I've overcome every objection in the book. Like, no, you don't understand. I have kids. No, you don't understand the job I have, so on and so forth. I have seen people with incredible, incredibly hectic jobs and kids that get up and sit on them while they are meditating and these people still meditate. Like we can find the time. Right. So it's just finding these 10 minutes. Maybe it's early in the morning. Maybe it's the end of the work day. Whatever works for us in terms of consistent time of day. But it's like, you know, we were raised from a young age that you ought to brush your teeth. Mm-hmm. So we all make the time two minutes in the morning, two minutes in the evening to brush our teeth. That's four minutes. Okay, we did it. Mm-hmm. Um, these days I have a toothbrush that keeps time for me. It's very nice of it. I just sort of have to show up and do it. Anyway, the same thing, like if I could do, if we could do that with meditation, that's so wonderful that we just sort of say, okay, like I'm doing this 10 minutes a day as part of my routine, mm-hmm. you know, because it's actually going to help me in terms of managing the stress of my day-to-day life. And so we do it and it feels good. And, you know, it just becomes part of the things we do. We don't always see that like, you know, only when we go to the dentist and having not brushed or flossed or whatever, do they say, oh, things don't look so good. Same thing here. A lot of times with meditation, it's only when we stop meditating for a week or something like that. We say, God, why am I so irritable today? Maybe it's because mm-hmm. I haven't been meditating anymore. It's stuff like that. It's almost in the lack thereof that we start to see the really profound effects that have been happening all along. Mm-hmm. It's just making it a priority, I guess. And the things that are a priority, you make time for. Just end of story. You know, even however busy you are, there's two minutes, five minutes, 10 minutes here and there um, yeah. where you can do anything that's a priority, even if it's some type of movement or, you know, batch cooking or meal prepping. Um, and I think too, if we all look at our day-to-day lives, a lot of times other things become the priority and we'll end up saying, I don't have time for something like meditation or exercise, but how often are we scrolling social media? You know, that might be something we're prioritizing. So if we cut back on five minutes of that, there we go. Now we have an open five minutes that we can meditate yeah is so when you're describing the mindfulness meditation is that the same thing as breath work or is that different yeah it's an interesting one i mean when it comes to breath work what we're often talking about is control breathing so if we ever go to a kundalini yoga class for example they might lead us in breathing in for a certain count, holding the breath for a moment, breathing out for a certain count. This can help de-stress the body, but it is a little bit different than what mindfulness meditation is meant for, which is to really start to address the tendencies that our mind has to run off into all sorts of directions. So for example, if we are an anxious person and we tell ourselves lots of stories around like, what if this happens? What if that happens? So on and so forth. If we take a couple deep breaths, that might temporarily make us feel better, but it doesn't necessarily retrain the mind to deal with the element of um, anxiety. It's just sort of, it's like slapping a Band-Aid on an open wound. So instead, we need to treat the actual wound. We need to mix medical metaphors here. Treat the disease, not the symptoms. 
it's not about like just making the body feel better, but actually working with the mind, noticing those stories, acknowledging them, coming back to the present over and over again so that we learn in the rest of our life that we don't have to chase after every anxiety-producing story. So breath work is um, a wonderful thing, and it can help with energy flow. It can help with de-stressing us, but it's a little bit different than what we're talking about when we talk about mindfulness meditation. So you mentioned, I was going to ask about if somebody's struggling with anxiety, is there something different that you would recommend that that person do while meditating or different kind of questions to ask or a different way to go about it than what you mentioned before? Or is it just the same kind of connecting with your breath or noticing your breath and Xing out the browser windows? Can that simple habit help with anxiety? Yeah. I mean, what is keeping, who's keeping us in anxiety? Let's start there. It's us, right? right? Like, no, someone says, Hey, I need to talk to you on Thursday. We can say, Oh, I don't know what that's about and come back to the present moment. Or we can spend the rest of our time between now and Thursday thinking through what they could possibly talk about and what, you know, did we do something wrong? Did we piss them off? Did we make a mistake? We could hold ourselves in a state of anxiety, but that is just us holding ourselves in anxiety-producing thoughts and making the choice to be with those thoughts instead of to be with the present moment and what's actually happening in this moment. So we are saying, I'll go chase after the future for a little bit instead of being present. Mindfulness at its core is us constantly saying, there's a thought, acknowledge it, come back to the present. There's another thought about the past or the future, I acknowledge it, I come back to the present. So it is just literally retraining the brain that it does not have to go into the past or the present, or past or the future so much. It can remain here. Mm-hmm. And that's actually the really profound thing that we often forget about. Is there anyone who should not meditate? It's a great question. I don't, I think the answer is no, but it's also, there's a caveat here um, where there are people who have a lot of trauma. There are people who um have a really hard time working with their own mind on their own. And it can be a really helpful thing to be done in conjunction with therapy. Mm. Um, and I think that's that's a call that people should make if they feel like, oh, I absolutely cannot be with my own mind because I will ultimately shut down and I will enter into a trauma response. Those are the sorts of people I think they should talk to a therapist and get their opinion about it. But everyone else, yeah. I mean, we can all benefit from this idea of just sort of acknowledging the thoughts, not buying in so much and then coming back to the to the present. Mm-hmm. I'm curious because you've been doing this for so long. What does your current meditation practice look like? I mentioned earlier the need to study with a teacher. And, um, you know, that only I think becomes more potent when we do meditation long term. At first, we're like, okay, I'm dabbling in this. It makes sense. It's helping me. At a certain point, though, if we want to go further, we're sort of like, I don't know what I don't know. <laughs> It's sort of odd to be honest about that. And that's where working with someone who's been doing this a little bit longer is really helpful. So the element of um, this Sanskrit word is Kalyanamitra, which can be translated as spiritual friend. It's someone that's just a little bit further down the path than you. Hmm. And they're not necessarily the enlightened person, but they are someone who's been where you are and they know how to progress. And that's a role that I serve for people and I've trained people who now serve in that role for others. And I also study with people who serve in that role for me. And so we're all sort of like leading ourselves towards further awakening. (laughs) And it's a great sort of chain in that regard. 
So for me, you know, I study with a wide variety of teachers, but uh, one of the principal people who guide my practice is Keelan Grimpache, who is a Tibetan Buddhist teacher. And he uh, often will teach what is known as Dzogchen, which is called the Great Perfection, which is, um, you know, once we've sort of stabilized the mind through practices like mindfulness meditation, we might relax it into its natural state a little bit more. And of course, another form of mindfulness, if we're going to use that term, you know, in Tibetan Buddhism, they often call it shamatha. So last foreign term, probably, I hope. Uh, <laughs> shamatha can be translated as calm abiding or peaceful abiding meditation. And it is the idea that we are inherently peaceful, inherently calm. We just need to get out of our own way to discover that. And so when we acknowledge the thoughts, we come back to the breath. That's what we're discovering. Mm. Are there any days you just don't feel like meditating and skip it? Or are you pretty regimented? Um, it's not necessarily regimented, but there aren't necessarily days that I skip it either. It's just, just become part of the fabric of one's life. And again, the closest analogy very well could be brushing your teeth. Mm. You know, it's sort of like turning to you and saying like, well, tell me, you must skip brushing your teeth some days. And you're like, well, like, maybe, maybe there is. <laughs> or maybe I just forgot that one morning, but I did in the evening. It's sort of like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, that I like that analogy a lot. If someone is listening and they're still feeling kind of intimidated by meditation, they've never done it before and it feels kind of awkward, just what would you recommend to the utmost beginner any any last words of advice for that person? Yeah, I think the advice here would be primarily around just not giving up on yourself because sometimes people think, oh, I'm giving up on meditation. Really what we're saying, like who's meditating? It's us. It's us working with our own mind. It's, it's us saying, oh, my mind's too busy. I My mind, I have too many thoughts. I can't meditate. And of course, that's not the case. It's just it's we sort of feel alone we sort of feel isolated we feel like it's a heavy lift if someone gave us several hundred pounds to lift we couldn't do it but someone said here's how you actually do this you push through your legs and you hold on this way you might be able to actually lift that weight so there is something of like not just giving up on yourself because it's hard at first but finding the right resources and the right techniques to actually get you going in a way that's positive yeah well, I ask each of my guests a final question, which is, in your opinion, what does it mean to make the health investment? When you say health investment, what do you, what do you mean? Because I don't want to mis- misinterpret this term that you were using. Well, so just based on the title of the podcast, I mean, everybody, every guest has kind of interpreted it in their own way. But I guess <laughs> you could different. take it uh, in terms of meditation or just in general. What does it mean, I guess, to invest in your health? Yeah. I mean, I think, first of all, it's an incredibly important thing. And I'm so glad that you're doing this podcast and that this is actually out there helping people because that's we do need to invest in ourselves at this point. It's, it's so many of us go through our life just basically waiting until we hit this wall and burning out. Mm. Um, and I feel like um, most of the people, like you scroll over to their yoga teacher website or their meditation teacher yoga or meditation teacher website, they're like, I was a high powered executive and then I hit a wall and my body fell apart. It's like, you know, why do so many people have to do that before they actually find wellness? Mm. Um, Anyway, so I, I do feel like so many of us are prone to burning ourselves out and it's just not a helpful thing. So the help investment really can be as simple as just taking 10 minutes out of the day to, to be with yourself. That's all we're talking about. 
to not have to interact with the screen, to not have to do or produce anything, but to just relax with who you naturally are and to discover for yourself that you're naturally good, whole, and complete as this. Mm. Where can listeners follow you after this podcast, find you online? I'd love to hear about some of your books that people could buy. Sure. So uh, the nice thing about having a name like Lodra Rinsler is that you own all of the domains. So... Um, <laughs> You know, I you can find me at lodrinsler.com and email me there and I'm happy to write you back. And then of course on Instagram and Facebook and so on like that. Awesome. And then your tell us about, I don't know, is there a book you're most proud of or is that like asking if there's a child you love most? <laughs> yeah, I think it is a little bit like that. So there isn't, but the latest one is Take Back Your Mind, which is Buddhist advice for anxious times. And it's the most recent and perhaps the most relevant just because it was written during this pandemic and uh, came out during this time. So for those of us who are struggling with anxiety, who are struggling with stress, that might feel the most relevant of them. Awesome. I'll definitely link to that one, but then I'm sure are all of them available on the largest bookseller we all know, Amazon? <laughs> they are, yeah. Awesome. Great. And I'm sure when you look for your name on Amazon, you may be the only author with the name Lojo Rinsler. Is that correct? That's also true. Yes. That's that's very lucky for you, right? I mean, <laughs> Dan Smith's out there having a really tough time, but yes, exactly. Good point. <laughs> well, thank you so, so much for being here. I'm so grateful for you sharing your wisdom with my audience. And again, I'm just happy that I downloaded this app Podmatch and was able to find your work. I'm so glad that we were able to talk. Thank you so much for having me on. Well, that's all for today. Thanks again for joining me here on the Health Investment Podcast. I'm so grateful for each and every one of my listeners. On your way out, remember to hit subscribe so that you never miss an episode. See you next week. All content in this podcast was created for general informational purposes only by a non-physician. None of the content should serve as a substitute for professional medical advice, treatment, or diagnosis. Always consult a qualified health provider with any questions regarding a medical condition and before making changes to your diet, lifestyle, and or exercise programs. Do not disregard any professional medical advice you have received or postpone seeking such advice because of something you heard on this podcast.